Okay. I think we're live. We are live. How are you doing, Alexander? I'm very well. Uh, um, um, interesting, fascinating. In some ways, rather sad week because, as I said, I, for me, the Nagorno-Karabakh affair is, is distressing. But as I said, an interesting week. Lots going on in Washington, of course, with Zelensky there um, and in Congress. Nobody should, I think, spend too much time overanalyzing that, but it is interesting. And, of course, um, interesting admissions. An admission today from The Economist, it's a sort of cag-handed admission. They don't quite say that, but they admit that the offensive has failed, the Ukrainian offensive has failed. And that's in The Economist, by the way. You mean the article with the title, uh, Rethinking? Rethinking yeah, the War or something? Absolutely. That's yeah, I was, you know, yeah, I did a video this morning. I was going to talk about that article, hmm? and I had it bookmarked. I was ready to talk about it. But as I was going through my video, I said, you know, The, the Economist, they're, they're, they're just babbling on about the, the usual stuff. And then towards the end of the article, they make one interesting point. Mm. I think the rest of it is okay to the mission mm. that the, uh, the counteroffensive has failed. They talk about the military industrial complex in Ukraine, Ukraine, investment, all this. Okay, whatever. We've, we've talked about it a hundred yeah. times. But towards the end, I think they give it away. They say that it's time for Europe to start paying for everything. That's pretty much what they said. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to I'm going to tell you what I personally think about that article because I actually think that it's slightly more interesting than that because I think it reflects the Victorian Newland plan. This is the Victorian Newland plan B. We go on to the defensive in Ukraine because, of course, we can't sustain an offensive any longer. I mean, that's actually what the article says. We, we you know, Ukraine lacks the manpower to go on the offensive. So we build up Ukraine's economy. We develop vast fleets of drones and missiles. We strike Russia in every single place. And, of course, we get the Europeans to pay. That's essentially, I think, the Victoria Newland plan. And you notice that she came back from Kiev and she was basically saying something like that herself. She actually said, you know, that what, you know, needs to happen is that there need to be strikes in every part of Russia where the Russians are so that, you know, we can keep the offensive going that way. And notice that Millie came along just the same time as Newland was saying that. And he says, you know, well, there's a report now. Anyway, this is what Millie said to the to Zeluzhny that if you use American weapons to carry out these deep strikes, I, Millie, will not be pleased. And this allegedly happened after the drone strike on the Kremlin. So you can see, I think Millie's again trying to distance himself from this new Newland project. But this is what I think it is. It's, it's plan B, new, Newland's plan B. Take the war to Russia in this in this kind of fashion, because the Economist is very plugged into that kind of thinking. Yeah, I mean, C Commander uh, Newland. Yes, Commander <laughs> Supreme, you know, Supreme Commander Newland. Yeah, well, I mean, people have been saying you know, people actually. There was a time when people were saying that this offensive, this one that's failed. There was. I even saw back in the spring. A reference to it, you know, as Vicky Newland's offensive. So supposedly she'd actually come up with a plan for this one. And of course, she said that it had been meticulously planned. So, you know, if you don't succeed with one way, you keep going with another. But that seemed to me what this Economist article 
was saying. Because the key admission is even they are now admitting that the offensive has failed. Yeah, no, I think that's that, that's an interesting take that you have, that it's Newland's plan. There's no doubt about it that when you read that article, you come mm. to the conclusion that uh, they, they want to throw everything to Europe. Absolutely. Europe, you deal with this. You yeah. fund it. You fight it. This is this is your problem now. There's there's no doubt about that. And and, and you know you're you're right because if there's one person that, that that really is fond of Europe that has a really warm spot, really warm place in her heart for for Europe and the EU, it's it's Newland. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Oh boy. They they fail and fail, but oh no, but you know if you. <laughs> As I've said many times, these people have no reverse gear. That's the key thing to understand about them. I mean, they will keep going, whatever happens. And, of course, no uh, um, awareness or acknowledgement, you know, that there's any limits to what can be done. They assume that whatever they will, the means will be found to, to do it. And if the United States doesn't have the means, well, the Europeans will step in and do it in their place. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. The uh, the comments from McConnell, and, and we'll get to some questions right after I get your take yeah. on this. The comments from McConnell and Schumer were interesting. Yeah, the, They came out and, and they said, specifically McConnell in a tweet, he said that uh, giving money to Ukraine is not a charity. Mm. It's about degrading Russia so that they can deter China. Yeah. I thought that 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 is that's a shocking comment. Absolutely, yeah. But but it's also a, a change in in, in yeah. the way they're trying to sell this yes. to the United States. Now it's about now giving money to Ukraine, Project Ukraine. It's all about China. That's why we have yes. to give money to Ukraine yes. now. Uh, people of America, get, let's give more billions to Ukraine because if we don't give billions to Ukraine, we can't degrade Russia, and we're not yeah. going to be prepared for China in the next two three years. That, this is this is their selling point. Absolutely. The people of the U.S. Absolutely. To the, to, to the people of the U.S. and even to the people of Europe. But you remember Annalena Baerbock, she said exactly the same thing in that interview, that, you know, that we, we, we must continue to support Ukraine because if we don't, other dictators, specifically Xi Jinping, will take advantage. They'll sense weakness and they'll keep coming. I mean, if nothing else... What this demonstrates is the extent to which it is Ukraine that is being used in yeah. pursuit of neocon geopolitical strategies. This isn't about Ukraine, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, the comment is is, is clear to to the yeah. to the people of Ukraine, to the people fighting in the Ukraine military. McConnell's comment is clear. Absolutely, keep on fighting. Absolutely. Not not for. Not for uh, Crimea. Not for Zaporozhye. Not yeah. for your territory. You keep on fighting so that we can degrade Russia in order to better fight uh, China. That, that's his message to the people. That's the message. No, and the fact that they're all coming out with it now and saying like that tells you that there's been, you know, that there's been an agreement somewhere that this is the line that everybody's going to have to follow from this point onwards. So th these comments are coordinated. I mean, it's not a coincidence that Baerbock is saying this and that Connell is saying this and that other people are also saying it as well. And you're going to see it more and more over the next couple of days and weeks 
And again, it's the hardliners. They they want to keep the war going. They certainly even they don't they don't want. I mean, the other neocons want a conflict freeze so that they can focus on China. This bunch of neocons say we can't afford a conflict freeze because if we do, that will embolden China. So you can see how um, that's it's, the difference it's playing out exactly. That's the difference. Yeah. Both of these groups of neocons, the, the Sullivan, uh, yeah. Lincoln, these neolib neocons, these, these new age neocons, let's call them. These guys, they want the, the conflict freeze, not because they want peace. They, they understand that, that Ukraine can't go on any, any longer. Yeah. They need to, to freeze this thing so that they can prepare for, uh, mm. for China and Russia. But yeah. their goal is still to destroy China and Russia. Yeah. That's still their goal. But the, the hardcore, the Cheney neocons, the Lindsey Graham neocons, the Newland neocons, they're just like, just keep on, just keep on fighting. Yes. Keep on fighting until we get to China. Exactly. We don't care. That's, that's exactly. their thinking on this. Yeah. Exactly. It's horrible. Oh, it is, it's 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 absolutely horrible. Well, exactly. I, I really hope I really hope that uh, people in the collective West don't fall for this yeah. for this narrative. Like I hope, like the Rand Pauls and Josh Hawley's, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greens, um, J.D. Vance, all these guys that are now speaking up. I really hope they don't fall for this. Well, they're deter, showing deter China yeah. uh, self. Well, they're showing no sign of doing so at the moment, it must be said. I mean, you know, none of them are so far have been won round by this particular argument. Um, it might erode some people on the margins, but I think that the military don't agree with this because, of course, they're seeing their arsenals depleted. And I think that, you know, the people that you mentioned are intelligent enough to see that it's not actually degrading Russia. It's degrading the United States. That is what it's doing. That is what this war is actually doing. It's locking the United States into another forever war, one that it is waging by proxy. But, you know, bear in mind that most American wars ultimately at some point become proxy wars. I mean, sometimes the United States commits troops at the beginning. Eventually, it sort of scales them down and pulls them out. And then it does become a proxy war. So this isn't quite so different from the kind of wars that the United States has fought in the past. I have to say one thing we should be grateful for, which is that even the most hardline neocons no longer seem to be talking about direct Western intervention in the war, at least not for the moment. We're not seeing them come forward and saying that the United States should send troops to Ukraine or the peacekeeping troops should be sent to Ukraine, or that Poland should send peacekeeping troops to Ukraine. And by the way, on the last, I think the, po the comments from Poland are also important because it looks as if Polish opinion has now cooled on the entire Ukraine project. Even the current government understands that. And it's very difficult to see how a Poland, which is no longer supplying arms to Ukraine, and which is saying that Ukraine is a drowning man that wants to pull other countries down with it. How Poland, after making those kind of statements, can realistically send troops into uh, Western Ukraine. So, I mean, that at least we need to be grateful for and take note of. For the moment, at least, of course, these 
horrible plans could be revived at some point. But for the moment, at least, support for that alternative has dimmed. It's clear that people have taken soundings and have found that amongst the European public and the Polish public, and of course in the United States, there is very strong opposition to that kind of, to those really disastrous scenarios. Yeah, but you know what else it shows? Yeah. It shows that the neocons, they've got their their, their teeth really deep into, into the European uh, elite class. Oh, yeah. The, the bear box, the hobbits, yeah. uh, the Ursulas. You know, th those people are definitely not seeing things the way um, Sullivan sees it, which is the the West Germany, Korea freeze. Absolutely, they're still they're still on board with the hardcore neocons. So I mean, which is interesting because just to finish, to finish up the the hardcore neocons, their strategy is about having Europe destroy itself so that they can yeah. keep the war going, which. What can you say when you have Baerbach signing up to, to something like this, signing up to, to her own country's destruction? Yes. Well, Jeffrey Sachs made an extraordinarily interesting point in that program that Glenn Deason and I did with him, which is, you know, this comment of Josip Borrell about the jungle. Remember this, uh, uh, this mug, jungle, Joseph? Well, apparently... Burrell got the jungle metaphor from Robert Kagan. Robert Kagan has actually written a book called, you know, The Jungle Creeps Back. So that's where Burrell got this expression from. In other words, Burrell, Joseph Burrell, takes his inspiration directly from Robert Kagan. Now, you know, we figured it out already to a great extent. But, you know, the direct connection, the, 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 the open connection there is so obvious. And it exactly confirms your point. The hardline neocons have, in effect, taken over the, Europe, the political class of Europe. Annalena Baerbock and Robert Habeck sing their tune. Josip Borrell, Charles Michel do the same. Olaf Scholz follows their orders. There's a little bit more skepticism about all of this in France, but, you know, Macron ultimately does what they tell him. And, of course, in Britain, well, we're completely signed up to that project. We are fully behind the most hardline neocons. There's no difference. So it's, it's very interesting, again, to see how straightforward it was. I, you know, that uh, as I said, Burrell, takes his inspiration from Robert Kagan. I mean, unbelievable to think, and as you absolutely rightly say, because they all see themselves as part of this great single project, they are apparently fully prepared to sacrifice Europe and the welfare of Europe's people to this project, which they see as a common project, one which they as individuals are also a party to. And we're talking Baerbach, Habeck are Greens, yeah. Green Party. I think Borrell is is coming from a party uh, on the left in Spain. Yeah. Yes, and they're and they're completely uh, taken over by the neoconservatives. Yes, completely under so, their spell. It, it's, no, it's so extraordinary. I mean, it, it is such an astonishing fact. It tells you 
how effective, you know, all these schools and institutions and NGOs that the United States has spread across Europe have been. Clearly, a whole generation of European politicians has been indoctrinated with this thinking and has been grafted on to the, um, you know, globalist WF thing that they also have. But um, it, it's created a disastrous mix. All right. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's say hello to everybody that is watching us on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, YouTube, and theduran.locals.com. And do we have anyone in moderation helping out? I think I will be moderating for now. I don't see any moderators right now, Alexander. But let's... Let's get to some questions. How about we answer some questions? Roseville, welcome to the Duran community. Grauga1001 says, they are going after Russell Brand. How long before they come after you guys? Well, <laughs> Russell Brand is much, much bigger. I mean, yeah, Seven million subscribers on YouTube absolutely. alone. Absolutely, yes. I mean, he is. He's much, much bigger. And, you know, there are differences between him and us. Let's, let's be quite clear about that. But anyway, look, we can only do what we do. You know, what comes, comes. We will continue with our work, as always. And um, that's, I think, all we can say. Did, did the UK... Oh, I want to get your thoughts on this, actually. Did the UK uh, overplay its hands when they sent the letter to the big tech companies, specifically Rumble, because Rumble has yes. released it, where the UK yes. government, I forgot yes, I the, think they did. the, uh, I the ministry, I, I, what it's called, um, but and, and she's, uh, she's a Tory uh, absolutely, yes, official, absolutely. I, they where did, she's yeah. actually telling the big tech companies to deal with Russell Brand to deplatform him based yeah. on allegations. I mean, this is from the government. Yes. I think they did, actually. Of course, I mean, you know, Russell Brand is huge here in Britain. I mean, without any question, of course he is. But um, the, there is massive amount of, you know, disinformation studies, as they're called in Britain. The government is very supportive of this. There was an extraordinary article by William Hague, our former foreign minister and former leader of the Conservative Party, who uh, in the Times, in which he said that there needs to be even more control over social media than there's been already. I think they have overplayed their hand, not in terms of Britain. There is very little real pushback in Britain against this because, as I've said many times, we don't have the alternative independent media that exists to such a degree in the United States. There isn't really an equivalent to that in Britain on anything like the same kind of scale. So there aren't so many people affected by it. But it is, they did overplay their hand because, of course, they're also in effect now intruding into public discussions in the United States as well. And, of course, they're, you know, showing their hand. But Britain's become a very intolerant place in many ways, and nobody should be surprised at this. All right. Ricardo Alfonso says, now we're seeing the beginning of the regime change in India. In Canada, the government is already starting to radicalize Sikhs and pushing for their own homeland. The problem is they put Trudeau in charge. <laughs> Quite true. I mean, the, the, the problem with um, this 
Sikh movement, which seeks an independent Khalistan. It goes back a long way. It goes back, well, certainly I remember it in the 1980s when um, the uh, 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 there was a group of um, Khalistani activists led by a Sikh leader called Bindranwala, who seized the Golden Temple in um, the Sikh capital, uh, Chandrigarh, and um, there was a you know a lot of violence at the time, and eventually the Indian Prime Minister had to send troops, or decided to send troops to clear out these militants, these activists from the Golden Temple, and the result was that the military, the Indian military, did gain control of the Golden Temple, but Sikh bodyguards of the Indian Prime Minister Indira Gandhi went on to assassinate her. They actually killed her. So, you know, this isn't a new thing. Um, but, you know, I, I agree. I mean, I we've already discussed this, I think, on programmes, that this sudden interest that we see in Canada about Indian security services, allegedly, because I don't know that this is even true, assassinating this person. I mean, remember, we're talking about, um, you know, a... a, a a movement which involves a lot of has historically involved a lot of violence. I'm not making any claims. I don't know the facts of this case, but it's not inconceivable that there were internecine fights between these groups. I mean, I'm not saying, but let's you know the fact is the Canadian government has pointed its finger at India and at Prime Minister Modi, and it's done that, I have no doubt at all because of anger in the United States and amongst the neocons and in Canada and in the collective West about what happened at the G20 summit in Delhi and before that at the BRICS summit in Johannesburg. So you're absolutely right. The idea now is to try and destabilize the Modi government. I think this is what this is all about. I think it is a colossal miscalculation. I, I, I said that, you know, the Sikhs, Sikh bodyguards murdered uh, Prime Minister Gandhi back in the 80s. It is Gandhi, Prime Minister Gandhi's family that leads the Congress party today, which is the big opposition party to Prime Minister Modi. So they're actually making common cause, uniting behind India on this accusation from Canada. And I can also say that, to my knowledge, the majority of Sikhs, I believe a big majority of Sikhs do not support this movement. So, in fact, these attempts, what they're more likely to do is antagonize the Indian government and consolidate Indian opinion against the West. Yeah. Uh, Stefan Anderson says, is a pencil weak or strong? It depends on how you look at it. That's what we've done in the, in the Economist interview. I, you know, I don't even understand what he's talking about there, actually. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those... He's such a weird, cloud. Uh, what, what does he mean? He's such a cloud. <laughs> Sanjeva says, hey, Alex and Alexander, great job you are doing. Alexander, regarding Armenia, hmm. what else is Russia to do to prevent a two-front war and let Azeri neutralize Pashinyan government, especially if the EU is courting it. Putin is without other options here. Well, I'm not quite sure what 
and what you're suggesting is going to happen and what Putin is expected to do. I mean, Putin and Aliyev, have an, they understand each other and at a certain level they get on with each other. And I don't think that um, Aliyev, who has bided his time very successfully over the last few years and built up his forces and made sure that he's on good terms with Putin and even as Armenia's relations with Russia has deteriorated. I, and as a result, has absor is absorbing Nagorno-Karabakh. I don't think Aliyev, for the moment, wants to make trouble for Putin. On the contrary, I suspect that what we're now going to see is that as Armenia drifts away from Russia under Pashinyan's leadership, Azerbaijan will become more heavily involved with Russia again. And they had a very productive telephone call, Aliyev and um, Putin, um, I think it was yesterday. Now, what Pashinyan and Armenia are going to do, I can't really see. But, I mean, they aren't realistically in a position to start a war against Azerbaijan. So I don't think there's a war between Azerbaijan and Armenia coming. And I don't myself see a conflict in the South Caucasus, at least not for the moment. I think, you know, Aliyev's got Nagorno-Karabakh. He's going to absorb it. He's going to bide his time. Maybe in five, ten years' time, he'll start something else. But I don't think he wants to make trouble for Putin at the moment. And ultimately, now, it's, the, it's for Pashinyan and the Armenians to decide what they're going to do. If they drift out of the Russian system, the Collective Security Tr Treaty Organization and the Eurasian Union, then, of course, they are critically exposed if in five or ten years' time the Azeris come after them again. But, you know, that's their decision and their mistake for the future. I think the Russians will bide their time and see what happens. And in the meantime, as I said, they'll work to improve their relations with Azerbaijan. What else can they do? From MM, I kind of see how Western European leaders go along with the narratives as they were brought up in it. But what possible explanation is there for the Baltic states? Leftover USSR hatred, money, some other promises? Well, I think it's a lot of things. I mean, there, there are intense grievances and angry feelings left over from that time, the Soviet, the Soviet era. There are some politicians in the Baltic states who want to capitalize on that. There's also questions of money, of that there is no doubt at all. The Baltic states are big recipients of financial aid from the West and from the European Union specifically. So all of these things are coming together and they've made, the, they've made for this. And of course, by taking an extremely hard line against Russia of fervently hard line against Russia. You could argue that what the Baltic states have managed to do is gain more influence in Europe. People go to them and listen to what they say, which is astonishing. I think it's a disastrous policy for them in the long term. I've discussed it many times. It means depending on the superpower that's a continent and an ocean away and antagonizing the the superpower on your doorstep but again it's what these i think provincial 
very limited, rather unsophisticated leaders in the Baltic states do. Yeah, power to the people, says Budanov was trying to refer to the feather in the sword saying, but his IQ wasn't able to remember it. Yeah. And so he spoke about the pencil and how it depends on how you look at it. Yeah, and yes, no, I... ramming a pencil into the eye of a person makes the pencil quite threatening. But Budanov is Budanov, yeah. Well, I, I presume, I'm, I mean, thank you for the extent, but, but whatever, it was bizarre. Yeah, thank you for that. Let's see here. Uh, Tool Fet H says, are there any countries in the EU that are focusing more on producing military FPV drones? There are still many store-bought drones with homemade solutions for carrying and dropping grenades. I am waiting for more mass-produced military-grade small FPV drones on both sides. I don't know. I don't know is the answer. Perhaps they are, perhaps there aren't. But I haven't actually heard about this. Most of this is going on in Russia and Ukraine itself. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually the Europeans get round to doing that. I mean, it's a relatively cheap thing to do. But they haven't got the designs, as far as I'm aware, or the production lines going, at least not for the moment. And Tool Fate H says, regarding Armenia, Azerbaijan, is there any tactical geographical or resource-related interests in controlling eastern Azerbaijan to gain control in the Caspian Sea. I know well, too little about the Caspian issue. Sea regarding geopolitics. This is, this, is, this is a huge issue. And of course, uh, you know, back in the early 2000s, when uh, relations between Russia and Azerbaijan were very bad, in those days, Azerbaijan was involved in a regional grouping called Guam, Georgia, Ukraine, Azerbaijan, and Moldova, the anti-Russian the anti um, states within you know, the former Soviet Union. Anyway, in those days, the European Union was really very, very keen on developing a close and friendly relationship with Azerbaijan. Of course, the reason Azerbaijan was friendly to the West and hostile to Russia at that time was because the Russians were supporting Armenia over Nagorno-Karabakh. So do bear that in mind. At the moment, and I think this is where Aliyev was clever, he eventually distanced himself from those policies. He worked hard to improve relations with Moscow. And well, we see the result. From Duck Life, is Cy Hirsch being fed false information to discredit himself? He struck me as gullible during his talk at the National Press Club in March. I know more and more people are saying this. I, I'm going to say, I don't know the nature of his sources. He's never had to retract an important story in 50 years. Um, he did publish a story about the Prigozhin affair, which I thought was completely wrong. But it could be that he was given that source in good faith, by an American, uh, you know, an intelligence analyst, in which case that tells you how little the United States really understands about the whole situation in Russia and about the Prigozhin affair. From Law of Attraction, Ursula said the USSR has bombed Hiroshima. She would like to blame Putin directly, but he was smart enough to be born later. Crazy he didn't, <laughs> it was a bizarre comment. She didn't actually quite say that. 
But it was very, 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 it was almost the impression that she gave because, of course, she talked about Hiroshima and she didn't mention the United States. And then she immediately went to Russia and Russia's nuclear threats. Again, so it, 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 it was. She said, she said the word again. It's nuclear threat. I know. Again. Again, exactly. So, I mean. It, I mean, oh, it's implying, I, I, isn't I, I, it? I, I mean, she's implying it. Yes. She's implying. She's implying. Russia. It was yeah. entirely intentional and really ugly, I have to say. But, you know, I have to I have to ask you this. Um, is it a coincidence that on one day you have Boris Johnson talking about how World War II was won by Britain and Ukraine? And then the next day you have Ursula also rewriting history? No, it's not. It's not coincidence at all. It's what's going on all the time now. From Sticky Marks, hiya, thanks for all you do, but Schultz, a pirate, I doubt the reputation of Blackbeard, maybe Olaf needs a dead parrot, love from Yorkshire, Alexi, any chance of another visit to the tomb of Lazarus in Larnica? Um, yeah, I will make a visit to the tomb of Lazarus, sure, yeah. I like that area, absolutely. Uh, Sanjeeva. But yeah. About about Schultz. I don't know if anybody Schultz. saw Pirate Schultz. Yeah. Pirate Schultz. I, 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 he perhaps ought to have brought the dead parrot with him when he addressed the UN General Assembly. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost entirely empty. There was no one there. Did you see <laughs> Zelensky? Parrot, perhaps yeah, there. there was like three people, and I'm not exaggerating, like three yeah. people in the front row, and that was it. Yeah, um, right. But how about Zelensky? Because he spoke to an auditorium that was like maybe one third full. Yeah. And I'm being generous here. Yeah. But uh, did you see the Ukraine media, what they did? Yeah. They edited. Yeah, they edited and they had a Lensky in <laughs> speaking and sitting down. It's all, it's all theater for them. It is. It is. For his, Zelensky, his, his whole crew, it's, it's all theater. Yes. Uh, Sanjeva says, Alex, you were going to talk about your observations of Russia. Yes, we need to do a program about this. And lots of people are asking us about this. I mean, I, I don't know whether you want to say anything quickly now, but let us definitely do a program about this, Alex. Yeah, yeah, we should do a program. Yeah, uh, I'll be back there as well. Yeah. So. Uh, keep that in mind. All right. Thank you, Sanjeva. Uh, Johan, thank you for being a member of the Durant community. Danielle says, Zelensky has a superpower. He can give a speech and be a seat filler at the same time. Of course, thankful that he did not decide to play a musical instrument. He's a man of many parts. <laughs> That's all I can say. Maybe that was his body double. I don't know. Double, yeah. <laughs> maybe. maybe. Uh, Elza says, Schultz's huge audience at the UN show, how the world shows, how the world sees Germany. Whatever Olaf says, everybody thinks Nord Stream. You're, you're absolutely correct. Can I just say something? I mean, I take, don't take back anything I said about Angela Merkel. I think she is to a great extent responsible for the disaster we are in today and for the disaster that Germany specifically is in today. But when she was chancellor, if you looked at the sort of international ratings of which were the countries which were most wide, widely looked up to around the world, Germany used to go, was, was always there, almost at the top. So it's tumbled, it's collapsed since Schultz became chancellor. Yeah, they've destroyed Germany. And, yeah. and you know, Schultz is to blame, but he's not really the one mm. running Germany. It's, it's no. Habeck and then you have Baerbach. Yeah. Yeah. But Habeck is, 
Bobbick's the real guy that's pulling yeah, the strings. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And he stays hidden most of the time. Yes. Every now and then he he pops up, but he's done a pretty good job to stay mm -hmm. behind the, the curtain. Yeah. Uh, Manver says, if the AFD ultimately come to power, which methods will Washington employ to ensure Berlin succumbs to U.S. influence? That is a huge if, if the AFD come to power. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they will increase their influence. But I think every single lever and button and wire will be pulled in Germany to stop that happening. And there'll be attempts to break up the IFD and to set people in the IFD against each other. And there'll be law cases and harassments and all kinds of things. We're not there anywhere close to that point yet. Of course, if it, if it does happen, it will be a political revolution within Germany. I mean, it will mean that the parties that have dominated German political life since the end of the Second World War, and in the case of the SPD, the party that is the oldest party in Germany, created in the 19th century by, amongst others, Karl Marx, by the way, he was there, one of the founding figures of the SPD, which was, for most of its history, by the way, also a Marxist party. People tend to forget that. But it, it will, it, you know, for it to be eclipsed by a force like the IFD and for the CDU, CSU to be eclipsed by the IFD, I mean, that would be a fundamental change. And I'd say something else. If you start, if, you, if, if that ever happens, given the extent of the revolution it would be, it's difficult to imagine or to predict what would happen within Germany itself. But don't assume it's going to happen. The odds are very heavily stacked against it, at least for the moment. Stephen George says that Pirate Schultz's dead parrot is Macron. <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> That's very good. That's very good. Rafik Adams says, any thoughts on the recent banning of Russell Brand? Has this affected selection of topics for discussion relating to Ukraine. I don't think you realize how influential you are on geopolitical issues. Well, you're very, you're very kind to us. About Russell Black Brand, all I am going to say is this. He led an absolutely debauched life. He admits the fact. There's no doubt about this how, at all. How big is he in the UK? Can I just ask you? Like, very I mean, big. I know he's I'm, big in the US, but I don't think it's anywhere close. Like his yeah. recognition in the US is anywhere near to... His star yeah. status in the UK. Absolutely. I mean, I will say, I mean, you know, he used to be on BBC in all these places. He's for a long time been pushed out of that. But undoubtedly, a lot of young people followed him. Now, the thing, the thing, this is all I'm going to say about Russell Brand. I mean, what he did in the past, I don't know. But it was wide, widely known that he was not somebody who was behaving in, you know, what one would call an orthodox way. But it's also, I think, widely established that for many years now, he has basically cleaned up and stabilized. And then out of nowhere, we get these allegations. I'm not going to prejudge them. I'm not going to discuss them. But all I will ask is, is it really a coincidence that they've suddenly been revived at this particular point in time? I don't think so. 
but, but why does the the part that that unsettles me is why is the UK government sending letters well to big tech well there you go it, it shouldn't it, the UK government it, just it, what business well, is it of theirs I mean your, your your point is absolutely correct I mean they should be playing no part at all in an investigation I mean it, the fact that they're sending letters to big tech about Russell Brand shows that they are in some way involved in the Russell Brand affair, which for the moment is under investigation. I mean, it connects them to that investigation. There's no other way to respond to that. And that already makes it look like a political investigation. Danielle says, can you comment on the latest Seymour Hirsch that U.S. intelligence has admitted that the war is over, Russia has won, and that the U.S. media are having to keep up the lie? Well, I, 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 the man might have been a, a, a new one, but I've heard this one, that the CIA is reporting this, but the Defense Intelligence Agency is taking up, taking a somewhat different line. They're slightly more optimistic. I think it's very interesting. I think it's likely true. And about the CIA giving more reliable reports about the war than the Defence Intelligence Agency is. I would point out that Larry Johnson, who, of course, was a CIA officer, actually said that some time ago as well. So I think that is true. I think the CIA is giving more reliable, more accurate, more balanced information to the US government, to the White House, I think, you know, they, they haven't always been willing to listen to it. But can I also say this? If the CIA is giving that information, well, who knows? Perhaps they're doing that because they're listening to us and to Brian Valetic and to others like us, because that's what we've been saying. And we don't have those resources. If the CIA is giving that information, then it's simply stating the obvious. Snarky guy says, are you guys aware of the massive strikes last night? They took out massive amounts of NATO depots, Merck yeah. camps, destroyed the Revna power plant and lots of other NATO infrastructure. Indeed. Well, of course, we're aware of it. I mean, it's what we do. I mean, we know all about that. And, uh, you know, this is coming, coming back to that article in The Economist that we were talking about at the start of the program. I mean, you know, it all talks about, you know, Ukraine suffering from Dutch disease, its economy is uh, basically shattered, it's got, uh, it's surviving on Western financial aid. So what we must now do is build up its productive base, create factories, do all of these things. And the reality <laughs> happens even as the program, even that article, or even as that article appears, you cannot build an industrial and strong economic base in Ukraine whilst the war is underway. The article <laughs> actually says at one point that, you know, we must make Ukraine thrive during this war of attrition. Thrive. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. Yeah. The whole article is just about, it's, it's, it's about sticking it to Europe. Yeah. And Europe's going to go along with it. That, that's the sad part of the whole uh, article. Yeah, we're going to stick it to Europe, and Europe is going to accept it. Yes, because Germany's going to accept it. Schultz, Baerbach, Habeck—they're going to say yes. Okay, we'll we'll go along with your plan, Newland. And there it is. 
The end of Europe. Sajeva says the Duran is strictly a geopolitical analysis channel and hence a very important educational channel. Russell Brand mixed cultural commentary, which attracts a much bigger audience. Duran is big and important in its niche. Thank you for that, Sajeva. Ricardo says, FYI, Ukrainian nationalists were cultivated in Canada. Similar plans for India. By the way, the RCMP is known for these types of provocations. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Raphael says, two questions for you. Is Putin slow or strategic? Why Putin is accepting Zelensky to insult him so much? Put me in charge today. Z no more. Well, the short answer is that he's worked perfectly for Putin. <laughs> the fact that Zelensky says all these horrible things about Putin. I mean, you only have to look at the fact that as, as, at the General Assembly, only a third of the, <laughs> the people who could have attended turned up. So um, most of the world sees this thing entirely differently. Yes, Putin is calculating. He's slow. He's deliberate. He's very measured. It's his style. It's the way he always works. Testina Lente, Caesar Augustus's famous tag, make haste slowly. That is what Putin does about everything, about economics, about industrial development, about agriculture, about financing, about how to conduct diplomacy around the world. You work gradually, methodically, systematically. You build things up and eventually you get there and when you get there you have got there completely you are you know everything is prepared and everything is done properly and that's how he's conducting the war in ukraine it is his style it is his method he's not in any hurry he does it systematically methodically as he does everything else and in terms of diplomacy it has worked spectacularly to his advantage compare what happened at the g20 summit in delhi with what happened the year before at the G20 summit in Bali. I mean, you could see that all the progress has been on the Russian side. Tim Gibson, thank you for that super sticker. 437THX1138 says, Putin has played the SMO perfectly. I see it as defensive of Donbass region and Ukrainians thrash against a prepared defense, not caring about losses. West ignores. The rest of the world believes this. I think this is correct. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that he's never made mistakes. I mean, he made mistakes maybe at the beginning. Maybe he thought that the Ukrainians were prepared to negotiate, which they clearly weren't, or at least the West didn't allow them to negotiate. But I think that this year, the Russians have fought a very clever war. I mean, the first, there was the Bakhmut operation, which weakened Ukraine significantly, even as it was supposed to be gearing up for this offensive. And then the, the way they've allowed Ukraine to smash itself to pieces against these fortified positions has been remarkable. And I think that, you know, strategy has been extremely well thought out and very clever. And in the meantime, behind this layered defense, the Russians have bought themselves the time and the space to build up their military, to build up their production, their military production. And they're going to be in a very, very strong position indeed next year. So I think that they have handled this thing in an intelligent way. BFT Eyes Wide says, guys, your thoughts on the recent rumors about the upcoming Maidan-like coup d'etat in Georgia? 
Well, we'll just have to see. There's been many attempts to carry out Maidan-type coups in Georgia. I get the sense that there is a lot of division in Georgia and that, in fact, the number of people who support that kind of movement in Georgia is gradually dwindling. That's my sense. Now, whether I'm right about that, we'll see. But with every attempt that's made to overthrow the government, and there'll be many, um, and with every success of the government in riding out the storm, it seems to me that the government starts to look more solid. From Tool Fate H says, yes, and why is there seemingly no effort to focus on producing drones, almost like they don't really want to win militarily? Thanks for the answers, by the way. Well, I don't know about this, but I mean, what I'm going to say about, I mean, bear in mind, this isn't my field. I'm not, uh, you know, an expert on military technologies and things of this kind. But I do get the sense that the United States and the Western countries invested very heavily in drones long before the Russians did. The Russians were very slow to develop drones. And this is a problem for them at the start of the war. But the advantage that the Russians have gained from that is that they've come to drone war fresh and they've been able to adapt it to a real military situation. And I think what's become clear is that the way to conduct drone warfare effectively is not with these huge, these big, complex, expensive, elaborate drones like the Predator and the Reaper and all those drones that the United States has and which Britain and other countries have to some extent reproduced. It's with small drones, which can you can saturate the battlefield, carry out mass surveillance, and also with kamikaze drones that can come and act as kind of long-range artillery. Yeah, exactly. Loitering drones, yeah. Exactly. So it's it's and I think as a result, now the Russians have a huge advantage over the West in this. And Anybody who's been involved in industrial matters and bureauc bureaucracy knows that even when it becomes clear <laughs> that you've been investing in the wrong direction, it can take a very, very long time to change course. So, you know, companies like Raytheon, Raytheon and all the rest who have invested in these complex drones will probably for a time resist developing these small drones because well they're less profitable <laughs> and it calls into question all the previous development and investment that they've done well think about what the u.s was using the drones for like what obama would use the drones for yeah. every morning he'd wake up he'd have his kill list that's right and that would be the the drone that they would send to to, to kill these people a wedding yeah. party or whatever the yeah. Whatever names were on that list, wherever they were, uh, that that was the purpose of of the U.S. drone manufacturing. Exactly, it's almost been a blessing in disguise for Russia in a way. The fact that they were behind because now they built the technology for the purpose of fighting this type of of war. Exactly, exactly. and of course the, the they've got the industrial infrastructure. By the way, Putin toured a factory um, in St. Petersburg, which is now you know major drone production factory. They've got all the uh, large numbers of people trained to operate drones because you need to. This is a big investment. I mean, it's not something you can do quickly, but I think you're absolutely right. I think for the Russians, it was in the end an, expect, an unexpected bonus that they were behind in drone development. Yeah. 
The reason um, they were, one of the reasons they were, by the way, I should say, is that the Russian military was sceptical that these big, sophisticated drones would be able to survive on the battlefields because, you know, with sophisticated air defense systems, it was, they questioned whether drones could even operate. And I think they were probably right about the big drones, <laughs> but the small drones are obviously a different. Yeah, it's interesting, huh? Yeah. They, 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 they were right. They were right, but they they didn't quite understand no. the, the use case of uh, yes. of the drones in in action, and yes. and they found yes. out yeah with yes. the conflict yeah. Uh, Matt Lissek says, "Is Saudi Arabia trying to play both sides of the fence, like Turkey, joining BRICS and cutting oil production with Russia one day, but playing with the deal to get the U.S. weapons and a peace deal with Israel now?" Well, I think that they are. <laughs> Why wouldn't they? Because it's in their interests to do that. But I, I have to say that the big strategic decisions are the ones about oil and joining the BRICS. The other things that they're doing are basically, it seems to me, um, gestures to the Americans. And if you unpack what they're saying, it's not actually... Um, really good news for the US. I mean, in terms of a peace deal with Israel, they're now linking it, the Saudis are publicly linking it to movement on the Palestinian issue. And that already makes it less likely. From, um, where am I here? Tool F8TH says, the Duran seemed to have a well-behaved audience that, in my opinion, hits of intelligent people with interests in the topics and the almost complete lack of trolls are also telling quality programming from A&A with their humane and, and empathetic rapping. Honey for truth, bees. One of our greatest assets, one of the greatest strengths has been our community. The Duran community is wonderful. Just say. <laughs> From uh, Tom, somebody, compare Aliyev Pashinyan diplomacy skills, Russia slash US. Well, there's no, well, that's a good point because Ali, Aliyev, of course, is a very good, very skilled diplomat. Pashinyan is not. It's as simple as that. Sticky Mark says all tyrants take bunny down first. So we are free to do as they tell us. To quote the late, great Bill Hickel, rest in peace, freedom, I should co-co. If this is a comment about Russell Brand and the fact that, you know, tyrannies lack a sense of humor, you are absolutely right. You cannot imagine how right you are about that. Commander Crossfire says, what do you make of the Syrian president's trip to China? Can we expect big things economically speaking? Can the Chinese pressure the Turks? Yes, <laughs> short answer. I, I, I think that China's been taking a big interest in Syria for some time. The Chinese member of the Politburo went there, I think it was last year. There's talk about Syria joining the BRI. Um, whether it will join the BRICS, well, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, certainly um, the fact that Assad is in, is in China is a big, big move. Yeah, he got an invite. Biden didn't. Well, exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> Raphael says, ANA, Biden warned us that Russia is going to use the winter for their advantage. Is Russia the one responsible for the climate change winter? LOL. <laughs> well, you know, Who wait knows? to see. <laughs> Who knows? 
Uh, Ricardo says, Olaf Schlepp thought he was the captain of the German pirate ship, but, war but wound up being the ship's peg boy instead. Well, absolutely. Well, you need, I mean, he's, well, I, he is the captain of the sinking ship. He's, he's actually like the captain of the Titanic. He's, he's gone full steam ahead into the, into the iceberg. Sparky says, great work, the Dread rules. Thank you, Sparky. Rafik says, thoughts on the recent rift and public statements by Poland on blocking Ukraine grain sales by oligarchs and ending welfare payments for refugees. I think it's a big, I think it's a big thing. Um, I mean, what the particular Polish leaders, Duda, Morawiecki, um, um, Kaczynski actually think about all of this, I really don't know. But it, it tells you a lot about real sentiments, real feelings amongst Polish people. Bear in mind that Poland has elections in a short time. And um, there is, um, you know, the, the race is tight. And the um, Law and Justice Party has a party on the right, a nationalist party, which is growing and which is opposed to this focus on Ukraine. So it tells you about the sentiments, and especially of the sentiments of this sort of more patriotic, conservative electoral base in Poland. They have had it up to that with Ukraine. They, they, they do not want to get involved in a war with Russia over Lvov and all that. The, the, and they're, they're not happy with the refugees. They're not happy with the grain. And they're basically telling their people, their government, we've had enough. The time has come to stop. So I think this is a big thing. Yeah, but keep in mind that you that Poland would never be able to make these types of statements if it did not get permission Absolutely. from the United States. Absolutely. So uh, that is also true. And uh, of course, no question about this. So this has been coordinated at multiple levels. It's part of the softening up exercise. We discussed this um, uh, recently. It's as part of the softening up exercise that the Sullivan Blinken axis is doing on Zelensky. They want him to sit down and talk. And the Poles are basically saying we're, 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 we're with that too. They're acting, Marty. if you like, as the enforcers, the hard guys. Uh, um, they're beating up on the Ukrainians on behalf of the Americans. Hmm. Mario says, hello, gents. Can you explain the diesel export ban by Putin? Alex, you should go to Sofia, Bulgaria and do a walk and talk. Thanks. Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I gather partly it is because there is a shortage of diesel oil in Russia. At least that's what they're saying. It seems surprising if it is true, but that's part of the explanation. That? I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, all right. I mean, that that. They are turning the screws. I mean, that's what they're doing. I mean, you know, if, if the other side can impose sanctions upon them, why shouldn't they do things like this? Yeah. And they are. I agree. And, and they, are. they know that the United States has an election next year, so they're playing with that. They also know that in Europe, by the way, it's not just commercial vehicles that use diesel oil. <laughs> there are still a lot of cars in Germany, for example, where diesel was very heavily promoted not very long ago, which uh, used used diesel, you know, passenger cars. Yeah, Marcelo says, anyone notice military activity in airports in the EU? Well, 
I am not in the EU, so I haven't seen. I I haven't, but maybe in the in the chat, yeah. people have yeah. noticed. Yeah. Uh, Sandra says, "Can you talk about the nine nineteen twenty three article, Gonzalo Lira? I think you're referencing the Breitbart, where Breitbart yeah. wrote about Gonzalo. I, I actually yeah. did a video on this. I touched right. upon this in one of my videos. Um, okay. You know, Breitbart's." said that they contacted the State Department. The State Department told them what they've been saying for the last mm. few months, which is they're aware of, of Gonzalo Lira and no American citizen should travel to Ukraine. That was pretty much what the State Department said. Mm. So the, the more interesting part of the, of the article is that uh, you have uh, U.S. Um, senators and House reps are starting to talk about Gonzalo. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the more interesting, interesting part yeah. to all of this. Yeah. Uh, Rand Paul, uh, J.D. Vance, yeah. Mike Lee, they're starting yeah. to to mention Gonzalo now, which, Gonzalo now yeah. which is significant. Which is significant and, and uh, you know, hopeful, perhaps, yeah. in terms uh, of institution. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Johan says, thanks for the honest analysis. Guys, more people should watch people like you instead of the government propaganda and the mainstream media. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Kaveda Crossfire says, Russian MP warned the U.S. trying to turn Mongolia into the next Taiwan, noted enormous uptick in U.S. intel diplomatic activity in Mongolia. Concern there? Well, I, I think that if there is any attempts like that being done in Mongolia, the country to worry about is Mongolia, actually. I mean, it's what got all of two, three million people. It's this huge territory, I believe as big as Europe but it's sandwiched between China and Russia. I mean, the idea of trying to stir up trouble for the Chinese and the Russians in Mongolia, it just goes to show how out of control in some ways the uh, um, State Department and the regime change back, uh, community actually are. Because um, whatever happens in Mongolia, if they succeed in doing something like that in Mongolia, any Mongolian government like that would not be stable for very long. That's all I can say. Yeah. Uh, La Republic says a few, uh, where, oh, yeah. La, La Republic European says, why does there seem to be so little care or worry for Germany's auto industry? Isn't that Europe's crown jewels? They're very much behind the electric cars compared to China, have their pipelines blown blown up and put sanctions on what makes their industry cheap, Russian natural gas. I'm, well, indeed, yes. I mean, you're absolutely correct about this. I mean, I'm going to say this. I mean, the Germany, it, its industrial structure has perhaps over-concentrated on its auto industry. It's been very successful. And perhaps the result was that Germany didn't diversify industrially um, to the extent that it should have done. And I think this is gradually coming to be understood, even within Germany itself. But you're absolutely right. I mean, given how important the car industry is to Germany, you would have thought that a government, any German government, would be working very, very hard to protect and preserve it, particularly, by the way, a, an SPD-led government, given that historically car workers in Germany have voted for the Social Democrats. Just saying. But, you know, there we go. I mean, that's that's where we come back to what 
Alex was saying earlier in the program, the political class in uh, Europe and in Germany in particular has been won over to neocon thinking. And of course, if you're talking specifically about the Greens, they hate cars. <laughs> That's the big story outside of the, the actual conflict in Ukraine. The big story is the collapse of Germany. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a big story. Um, Matlis. Matlis X says, a lot of talk that Russia may stop at the Dnieper or Odessa or Lviv. But if they really want to end this, would have to go back to Berlin and liberate Germany. Well, I don't think they're going to go all the way to Berlin. I mean, I think that's not their agenda at all. But what their plans are for Ukraine, I'm not going to. I don't know. All I will say is what I have consistently said throughout this war. I do not see this war ending from a Russian point of view until there's been some satisfactory settlement about Odessa. Odessa is too important to Russia. It's for historic, cultural and economic reasons to be left as it is. Yeah, absolutely. And if, and if they do make it to Odessa and to Transnistria, which would make sense if they're going to go yeah. through Odessa, they might as well connect Transnistria, which is something that, uh, that has been a headache for Russia for, for a while now, the, mm -hmm. the isolation of Transnistria. Um, even, even if you have this rump Ukraine yeah. in, in, in the middle, yes, it could mean that, that NATO can push a little further east, but they're surrounded on all sides. Correct. Correct. Belarus, Russia, Russia. I mean, there's nowhere for them to go. Absolutely correct. In, in fact, what it would actually mean is right that there'd be the Western Ukraine, and then there would be a sort of island of population around Kiev, because you know this area that people see is very thinly populated. It's small towns, villages. It's not a major population area of Ukraine. Um, so you'd have a sort of populous island cut off from its hin hinterland around Kiev. Very difficult for it to um, achieve economic stability and deeply isolated in areas surrounded by essentially Russian control. It's exactly what Alex has just said. Elza says, pencils in the next aid package for Ukraine. Of course. Uh, Sir Sayer says, people around my social circle think I'm paranoid, but I still believe Russia will invade Mexico. <laughs> Uh, Port Port Film Co-op says, "What are your favorite Russian movies of all time?" Oh, that's a big question, <laughs> actually. Uh, well, first of all, can I just say, I mean, the Russians are superb at literary adaptations, and uh, um, one of my absolute favorite literary adaptations is um, two films that were made. Uh, well, one film in the nineteen fifties by um, a Russian director called Pierin, which is on the first half, an adaptation of um, Dostoevsky's Idiot. It doesn't do the entire novel, but it does the first part of it. And it is astonishing. To my mind, it's one of the most brilliant lit literary adaptations ever. And then P uh, Dostoevsky, uh, sorry, and then Pierin did another adaptation in the 1950s of Don Quixote, the Spanish novel. And that is by far the best 
film adaptation of Don Quixote that I know. I mean, it is actually superb and it is far too little known. The Russians also did in the 1970s a superb adaptation of um, 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 Crime and Punishment as well, by the way, which is really quite amazing, far better than any other. And the best Chekhov, the best Chekhov film, again, is a Russian film. It's Unfinished Piece by Mechanical Piano. I would highly recommend that. The Russians do brilliant war films. We've discussed Come and See. We've discussed Ballad of a Soldier. We've discussed The Cranes Are Flying on previous programs. They do brilliant um, um, films of that nature. And, you know, they do pretty good science fiction films. I mean, my favourite Tarkovsky film is Solaris, actually. I, I, I think that is an absolutely wonderful film. And then, of course, they did the amazing films, um, you know, in the past, you know, Eisenstein's films. And um, of those, Ivan the Terrible, Ivan Grozny, part one and two, I also find pretty astonishing altogether. And I should say that the actor who plays Ivan in those two films and also who played Ali in the other Eisenstein film that came out just before the war was Nikolai Cherkasov. He also plays Don Quixote in that film by Pirin that I was talking about. And my father briefly met him once. So there we go. Just, 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 just doing a bit of name dropping there. And um, also, I have to say again that um, Eisenstein's um, films, the um, modernist silent films, um, Battleship Potemkin, Strike, October, they're also pretty exceptional. My favorite one of those is Strike. And Russia Today started to make some good films as well. I'm not so familiar with them. They did a very good adaptation, television adaptation, in my opinion, of Dr. Zhivago, much better than the David Lean version, in my opinion. But that's uh, any many people will argue about that. They did a brilliant television adaptation, again, of The Master of Margarita. And, of course, they have a wonderful cartoon industry as well. Anyway, so, I mean, I could talk about that. There's a lot to say there. It's a big, big topic. You, you need to, to do, like, a Locals. Yeah. Well, I, I'm something of, <laughs> I, should say, I am something of a film buff. We talk a lot about um, a, a classical film buff. I mean, we talk a lot about Russian films. But, you know, I uh, particularly I like German and French films as well, a lot of British films, a lot of the old American films as well. Mm -hmm. uh, summer of 1970 says can you comment on the Grey Zones story calling Ukraine the European Israel yeah I, I think this is wrong I think that might be an aspiration that some people have but I tend to say straight away I think Israel and Ukraine are so completely and profoundly different from each other that um, one can't really make those comparisons I mean one thing to say about Israel is that Israel its leadership has consistently been smart. <laughs> there are some very, very clever people running Israel. I mean, you know, from, you know, Ben-Gurion and uh, uh, Golda Meir and whatever, Netanyahu, whatever else, whatever you think about Netanyahu, he's clearly a clever man. I mean, what has Zelensky, what has Ukraine produced? Zelensky? Poroshenko? I mean, you know, already we see 
that there are problems with those comparisons. Raphael says, guys, keep up the good work. Outstanding job. Thank you, Raphael, for that. Uh, Darren says, could you do an interview with George Galloway? Yes. Yes. You've been on. You've been on. I've uh, been. I, I, I know with, George. Not, him, I'm not very well, but we met many times and yeah. we've spoken many times. A huge respectful. Tom, somebody says, is it the G20 stratagem to admit AU to G20 to counter BRICS? West using self-defeating strategy to rule Russia, China, tying up their resources while the Sahel AU tell them no more taking their resources. I think that's unlikely because the two countries that pushed for the AU to join BRICS were in fact India and China. <laughs> it was they who lobbied for that. And of course, they're both BRICS states. And if you look at the AU, um, its headquarters is in Ethiopia, which has just joined the BRICS also. And most African countries seem to be supporting, um, um, you know, the BRICS and that part of the world. So I, I don't think that is actually, you know, what's going on here. From... MM, question personal. Alex, you often showcase great art. Are you an artist yourself or more of an appreciator collector? Appreciator, I'm not an artist. No. Not even close. <laughs> Radio, uh, thank you for that. Uh, Radio Constantinopolis says, do you guys see an Armenia-style scenario for Greece versus Turkey? I worry about Cyprus with what yeah. has happened in yeah. Armenia. This yeah. I will I will agree with yeah. you, Radio yes. Constantinopolis. I don't yeah. know about Greece, but Cyprus, yeah. Yes. I, I, I think it's I'm very sorry to say this. I think this is not impossible. Yeah. And you're not uh, just about Cyprus, but about some of our eastern islands and shores and things. I think, you know, I'm more worried about this than I've been well before. Olifast says, can you talk about N.I.? Will the sinners form a gov? N.I.? N.I. Will the sinners form Not sure I understand that. Sorry. <laughs> Olifast, if you can just write in the chat what, yeah. uh, what you mean by that, I'll, I'll get yeah. back to, to that question. Raphael says, because of bad weather, the pilot bailed out of the plane, not trying to land it. Nice way to market and advertise a product. Who will buy it now? This is the F-35. More to the point, I was reading in today's Financial Times that the F-35 has only a 55% reliability rate. All the rest of the time, it's apparently in, has to be under repair. I mean, I, 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 I'm not an expert on military technology, and I'm not going to judge the quality of the F-35. Um I know many people think it's a lemon. <laughs> I mean, it might be for all I know, but it does seem to have, it does seem to have been a very troubled program. Uh, the NI, I think, is Northern Ireland. I'm looking at ah, right now. So let's yeah. can you go back to the question. Yeah, one sec. One sec. Let me pull it up here. Can you talk about Northern Ireland? Will the sinners form a government? I think Sinn Fein. Yeah. Oh, well, government is that, okay, is that the yeah, question? I, I can imagine. Well, they might do. I mean, they are now gaining strength amongst the Catholic community. I mean, they've become the big Catholic party amongst the Catholic community in Northern Ireland. And um, whereas Catholics used to be a 
significant minority gradually it's sort of evened out and one gets the sense that even some protestants are now starting to think about this i'm going to say this i don't know whether Sinn Féin is going to form a government in northern ireland but i continue with my view having been to northern ireland some years ago that irish unity is now inevitable it is only a question of time i think a lot of people amongst the protestant community in the north are starting to understand that as well and i think that is the trajectory of travel what role Sinn Féin will have in that is another matter tom somebody says alex front runner for clown world of the year annalena annalena yeah yeah absolutely annalena she and of course biden, biden she redefines <laughs> the concept of foreign minister <laughs> i can say where they found her, my God. Uh, Lada Moreau says, what do you think was Pashinyan's, what do you think was Pashinyan promised by the West for giving up on uh, Karabakh, Nagorno-Karabakh? He basically foregone a legal reason for the West to get involved. He wants EU membership, and that's what he's been promised. I think that's the first thing, eventually NATO membership as well. But I think basically his objective is to take Armenia into the EU. It's as simple as that. Let me see here. Space Cake says, people like Dmitry Olov predicted that Europe can look much different in the future. France and Germany will maybe disappear to turn into caliphates. Your thoughts? I hope not. Uh, I think we're a long way from that point. And certainly in France, there's a major pushback. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't anticipate it or predict it. Um, it was a disastrous um, future if it's what if we if, if it's where we go. Beto says, "I think it was Putin and Xi Jinping who hired destroy the West." Can you read that again? Sorry. I think it was Putin and Xi Jinping who hired Biden to destroy the West. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> Well, this is the point. I mean, if you want to talk about a Russian agent in the pen, in, in the White House, uh, you know, people were talking about Donald Trump. And Biden's done an awful lot more in that respect. I mean, maybe he is the Russian agent. After all, he has financial connections with that part of the world, which, let's remember, Donald Trump did not. Just yeah. saying. <laughs> Marty Marr says, if the West pushes Ukraine to the negotiation table, should Russia trust any agreement that would be made after the Minsk agreement fiasco, would they be better waiting for the U.S. election results? Good work. Well, well, they're not going to trust them and they're not going to negotiate, not on the basis that's been said. It's the, I mean, they've made that absolutely clear. And Medvedev, who I am sure, even though he talks in this incredibly provocative way, does so with the full agreement of the Kremlin. He's made it absolutely clear that, it's, that the Russians will never negotiate with the present team in Kiev. They don't consider them uh, agreement capable and that uh, their objective now is to change that government in Kiev. In other words, regime change. Now, that's a radical change break from what the Russians do. But they've come to see the Zelensky government and indeed any other potential government that comes out of the Maidan movement in Kiev as a threat to their own security. And I think that when the Russians come to that kind of decision, they will never change it. 
Yeah, Sparky says the West and BlackRock made make all these post-war plans for Ukraine. If for no other reason, Russia should absorb all of Ukraine just to spoil those plans. Hmm. You might get, you might, you might see that happen. <laughs> yeah. JP says great salutations. Thank you for that, JP. Paul says with Ukraine sending women and the sick to the front, is it a play for sympathy or someone's picks up the slack? I think it's a sign of desperation. I think it's a sign they're running out of men. Ricardo says, reading Klausowicz, Sun Tzu, and Svechin will really put this conflict in Ukraine into perspective. They are the go-to references. Absolutely. I think that's right. I mean, Klausowicz especially. I mean, I, I tried to make sense of Sun Tzu. And this is, I speak as somebody who's read lots of Chinese uh, literature, but I, I find it a little bit remote from the pro, from the present world, whereas Clausewitz, I think, is describes this war very well. And I repeat a point which we made right at the start of this war, which is that Russian military thought is based on Clausewitz to an extent that people perhaps don't appreciate. And of course, Clausewitz's military thought was based on his experiences in Russia, a fact which he openly acknowledged. Radio Constantinopolis says, K21 party in Greece needs you, Alex, for a half hour long interview. Are you available? Alex? Like Alexander? Oh, or me? Possibly. Let, I mean, let me know and either one of us send us an email. Yeah. Either one of us. Um, Marcos588 says, I realize that on occasion I make these Roman Byzantine allegories. However, is the world realizing that with Elensky, they were sold a champion akin to Majorian, but rather wound up with the Valentinian? <laughs> so Majorian was, uh, um, many people considered, the last great emperor of Rome. He was in the 5th century. He tried to carry out important reforms to, to rescue the Roman Empire. He wasn't successful, and uh, he was eventually overthrown. But he is widely considered and was considered at the time to be a brave, honorable, even heroic man. Um, there are lots of Valentinians, but the, the uh, Valentinian, I think, that is being referred to here might have been the one who actually murdered his best general, um, who was Attius, and who, by doing that, eventually brought the Roman Empire to collapse. So, yes, I think these are not bad uh, metaphors, though I'd be very, very surprised indeed if most Western leaders uh, would understand these references to late Roman emperors that you're making. Sparky says, one of my brother's new ambassador, Stevens, and mentioned to me before Stevens' death, it stood out. Stevens was passionate about the Pan-Africa movement. It's likely why he wasn't rescued. Yeah. Quite likely, yeah. Alexander says, super sticker. That's what Alexander says. Thank you for that. <laughs> Sticky Mark says, FYI, regarding UK Admiral posted to Poland last summer as Portsmouth laughed, new ship failed to sail. He broke the bloody ship's keel half rolled. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, the Royal Navy is in a, it appears to be like every other part of the British military in a very troubled condition. Again, I was reading in the British media somewhere. This is hot after reading 
that we've only got 40 workable tanks that are aircraft carriers, such as they are, and they don't work very well, apparently, but uh, such as they are, they only have a fraction of the number of fighter jets that they're supposed to carry because we can't afford any more. <laughs> so there we are. <laughs> uh, tool F8TH says, sorry, not for dominating the question section. This is my last for now. Huh. Has Western industrial infrastructure been under-prioritized because of the green wave of religious science? Yes. <laughs> I think there's any doubt about this. I mean, that, that has played a very significant role in the decline, especially in Europe, where, of course, green ideas began to take off earlier than they did everywhere else. But especially in Europe, we've seen one of the reasons why there's been a, a moving away from industrial development is because of precisely because of that it's not paul the walker, only reason but it is one of them yeah paul walker says the lancet 3m drone has the reach now drone investment has gone up tenfold in russia ukraine will collect drone downed drones and strategically place them yes i mean i mean the lancet drone has now got a range the more modernized one of 70 kilometers so it can hit far beyond the front lines. And, I mean, they have become, in my opinion, the new precision artillery. Tom, somebody says, Russia's new application of drones is based on its historical experience in massive land warfare in their region. The U.S. has none of that at home. Absolutely. I'm going to say something else. I think it also reflects the fact that Russians, that the Russians, their major emphasis has been on artillery. Whereas Americans have been, you know, their emphasis has been on air power. So understandably enough, when Americans thought about drone warfare, they thought of drones as unmanned aircraft. Whereas the Russians, with the development of the Lancets and things like that, see them, as I said just now, as kind of long-range artillery, extending the reach of the artillery. But of course, they can produce thousands of these things. Hundreds initially, and now thousands of them. And before long, tens of thousands of them. All they need are the drone operators. And of course, with AI technology, it becomes even more effective because these things can loiter around. And with AI technology, they can then be used to carry out strikes and things of this kind. And people who think that the Russians can't do AI technology and that they don't have the chips to develop it are going to be very disappointed. Sparky says the F-35 Lightning II should be renamed the F-35 Bundangol. Military industrial complex loves Bundangols. They contain many more corrupt money-making opportunities. I've had so many people say this, and I have to say, I think that's probably right. Most of the people who talk in this way, um, um, who, who talk in this way, seem to me the more intelligent and insightful and reliable military analysts but you know I, I i'm not going to pretend that this is an area where i feel comfortable or especially strong johan says west falling apart culture historically etc in sweden it goes fast children killing each other 13 year old boys tortured and executed in gang wars absolutely you know uh, you mentioned this i mean i i was you know when i do programs i do a bit of research and um I was looking at a program on YouTube 
of uh, you know a, a color film, Pathé Newsreel, Pathé Newsreel, of the visit to Britain in the 1960s, 1967, of Alexei Kosygin, who was then the Soviet Prime Minister. And I arrived in Britain in 1968. This is when I settled here. I'd been here before. And that took me all the way back to the late 60s, to the Britain I remembered at that time. And it was very familiar, extremely familiar. I almost felt I could step into it and it would be, everything was there as I remembered it. So different today. Today's Britain is so different from the Britain of that time. And not in a good way. Jungle Jin says, surrounded by enemies with no access to the sea, how can Hungary survive in the long term? Who are its friends and allies? Well, that's an excellent question. Now, you know, sometimes Hungary has sought friends in the West. Sometimes it's had to seek them in the East. I think this time it's going to increasingly have to seek them in the East. Vladimir Moreau says, could it be just a plot by the Poles government going against Ukraine to be reelected? And after that, they win. And after and after they win, they reverse back to be BFFs with Ukraine. Oh, absolutely. Of course, it could be exactly that. But, you know, ultimately, and this is the point, even if it is that, it reflects, it tells you a lot about Polish national feeling about this even if the government has to say these things in order to get re-elected. That tells you what mo many polls, perhaps even most polls, actually think about this war. Elza says, the meeting between Alensky and Joe, both mumbling while reading, while reading from cards, ignoring questions. Alensky oh, looked, yeah. again, like a child in a seat next to Grandpa. I completely agree with that. I totally agree. I should say also, um, um, listening and watching Biden's speech at the General Assembly was a painful experience. Very painful, yeah. Uh, Rafiq says, any thoughts on the recent investigation launched by the Justice Department on Musk's relationship on Ukraine-Russia? Well, are we surprised? Sparky says, good to see Africa coming together and rejecting neocolonialism. West's blunders have facilitated it so far much better than if, yes. than if they set out to help. Yes. The West is always helping Africa. I remember, you know, Tony Blair, he was going to abolish poverty in Africa. And of course, when, what the West really means when it talks about helping Africa is about keeping Africa down. That's what it really means. So if the Africans finally put an end to that, good for them. Zeshan, thank you for that super chat. Love dogs, hate people, says Austrian politicians in the U.S. to plea for Julian Assange. Yeah. Well, I believe that when it happens, actually. <laughs> when it really happens. When I see him free. Tom, somebody said, what, what about Kharkov, Russia's interests? Oh, Russia, I mean, Kharkov is a very important city for Russia. It's a major industrial center. It is a city that conceives of itself as Russian and which formed with Belgorod, by the way, um, during the Tsarist era and the Soviet Union, um, a, an industrial, a single industrial conurbation. Belgorod, by the way, has prospered since the Soviet Union collapsed. Kharkov has gone into decline, just saying. But 
from a Russian point of view, Kharkov is obviously very important indeed. I'd say Odessa is even more important. Yeah. Rockfin Naboja says, thank you guys for giving us another angle in the sea of delusions. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Uh, Jungle Jin says, the Armenian foreign minister, Miro Zoyan, demands that French and American forces replace Russian peacekeepers in the Nagorno-Karabakh. Is this as deranged as it sounds? It is as deranged as it sounds. And why would Azerbaijan agree? Why would Azerbaijan want peacekeepers in Nagorno-Karabakh at all? <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as that. <laughs> Just exactly where they wanted to take this. It tells you exactly yeah. what the agenda is. Yeah. Yeah. Lada Moreau says, what about the adaptation of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes in the 1980s, Alexander? Brilliant with uh, Livanov, uh, 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 absolutely amazing. Very, very strange and uh, amusing and uh, uh, in some ways comical to see from a British eye because, of mm -hmm. course, all of these uh, uh, adaptations are set in well, mainly Riga, which was a part of the Soviet Union at this time. But it doesn't look like London at all. <laughs> and, of course, you have all of the actors playing British characters and you get a sense of what how Russians imagine British characters of that era to have been. And it's very, very different. I mean, if you want to get a good British adaptation of the Sherlock Holmes stories, the ones that were made in the 80s with Jeremy Brett are probably the closest to the Conan Doyle, uh, what Conan Doyle would have imagined. But the Russian ones are, are wonderful. They're humane, they're beautiful, they're wonderfully made. And the theme tune is magnificent. <laughs> Nick says, Berlin does not support Kiev's call to strip Russia of its veto power. Since when does Germany's opinion matter in the UN Security Council? Arrogance in Kiev's request and arrogance in Berlin's comment. Agreed entirely. I mean, this, is a, this, this whole thing is a fantasy. There is no mechanism for stripping a country of its UN veto, of the security of one of the big member states of the UN veto. Boondragon, with the latest Zelensky UN performance, I have a feeling that the war is nearing an end phase. Seems that people are tired now. Do you agree? I do agree. I, we said, I said that in, we did a recent program. As I said, I think we're coming to the end of the affair. And by the way, you talked about tiredness. I mean, that Economist article we were talking about, it actually says that Ukraine's army is exhausted. It actually uses that phrase. Yep. Uh... Suk says 130,000 Sikhs voted last week in one Canadian city alone. If Punjab doesn't want Khalistan, let them vote. India calls all activists terrorists. Is a rogue terror? It's a rogue terror regime. Which India or <laughs> which, is, which is the rogue terror? I guess India. Is it if India? Punjab doesn't want Khalistan, let them vote. India calls all activists terrorists. Well, I, I'm not going to get into the internal politics of India or the domestic politics of India, about which I've been, I know very, very little. All I will say is this. The Indian government, and in this I have no doubt at all that it is supported by the overwhelming majority of people in India, sees Punjab as part of India and will not want to change that. And this is an internal problem, domestic problem of India and outsiders should stay out. Yeah. Mobius, 
does the U.S. and her allies even have what it takes to fight Russia, China? No. <laughs> I mean, what they had, they've given to Ukraine. Yeah. Anna says women are no less evil than men. Of course. I mean, e the, the, the evil, good and evil are not determined by gender. Well, you know, that might get me into trouble with some people now. Far, <laughs> uh, thank you for that super chat. Joseph says, America changed forever after Kennedy's assassination. Since then, we only spread bullets, coup and terror. Path to Glory was a good anti-war film. Absolutely. I could have a brilliant anti-war film, if I may say. And I mean, I, we can talk about American cinema some other day. But anyway, but I, I, I about Kennedy, I mean, clearly it was a, it was a watershed moment. And I was reading you know, back to back um, JFK's speech to um, America University in 1963 with Tony Blinken's speech at Johns Hopkins University in, uh, uh, you know, just a few just a few days ago. And the contrast is astonishing. And there was one paragraph in JFK's speech which really stood out for me in, very bitterly, in a very bitter way. He was saying how uh, sad it was that in the Soviet Union, you know, there's a leaf, there's a book which describes the United States is wanting to extend its power over the world, force everybody to accept American institutions, pull down Europe, do all of these things. And how could the Russians imagine that? Well, today, today, that is exactly, of course, what the Americans have been doing. What K Kennedy said, that was not what the United States was about in 1963. And the Soviets were wrong to think that it was. Today, that's become that. And, of course, Kennedy's speech, clear, simple language, easy to follow, easy to understand. Everything he says, you can see that he means. You go to Blinken's, one cliche after another. The, the contrast, as I said, is painful. Boa Omega asks, who was the greatest, great, Alexander or Peter? Oh, Alexander. <laughs> How can you make any comparison there? Of course, Alexander the Great one. Kaved yeah. Crossfire. Is the war, if the war drags on much longer, could Russia lose sight on Central Asia like they did Armenia and allow the US to infiltrate there too? No. No, I don't think so. I think that um, Central Asia um, has seen the situation and they're not going to change this. In fact, even as, um, even as there's been uh, this meeting with, you know, Biden mating the five leaders of Central Asian states. And that should have, in itself, I would have thought, be enough to convince them to keep well away. I mean, you know, speaking to Biden, of all people. But anyway, it, it, we, we've had the Russian prime minister going to Uzbekistan, having an important deal there, modern conference. We've had another um, Central Asian leader, I forget which one, calling Putin and briefing him on this meeting, apparently. So, no, I don't think that's going to happen. Mobius asks, are you going to have Garland Nixon on again soon? Yes, of course we are. Paul Walker, coincidence that the UK just updated the avionics on their fleet? No, I'm sure it's not, but I mean, I don't know about the story. 
Angelica says, what are you, what do you think about President Vucic to the UN, his speech? Oh, it's a clever speech. And I think he's a clever man. I mean, he's a fox. And you have to keep very careful track on what he's saying. But I thought his points, for example, about the hypocrisy of the West, about Ukraine and territorial integrity were absolutely to the point. LPL, will Australia get their new subs on time at all? No, they won't get them on time. Whether they get them at all remains to be seen. I wouldn't put money on it. Red Z, thanks, fellas. I think Trump's treatment is about failure to remove him easily with FP as justification. The deep state got in bed with ideologues. I agree with Will Quintani, right? Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Darren Alevi, do you think Stalmer's visit to Macron is premature? He believes he has already won the 24 UK general election. I agree. I think it is, actually. I think that Starmer has recently, very recently, let the mask drop a, li a little and is showing people the remainder that he is. I think he has accepted the Guardian Nista narrative that Britain's economic problems are because it's left the EU and that more and more people around Britain think that. I think what he's doing is very unwise and it's, well, electorally very unwise. And I think what he's going to do is remind people in the red war seats that during the Brexit war, he was Mr. Second Referendum in Chief. I mean, he was the absolute person who was driving that in the House of Commons more than anybody. So I think he made a mis he's made a mistake. Eric, thank you for that super sticker. Mobius, could Japan and South Korea even survive a war against North Korea-China to begin with? I highly doubt either nation has what it takes, and the latter will turn the former into failed states via nuke. SK well, Japan equals dead men. Well, bear in mind that, of course, China and North Korea are nuclear powers. So far, Japan and South Korea are not. Both Japan and South Korea have spoken at times about acquiring nuclear weapons. The Japanese off the record, the South Koreans almost on the record. Both of these countries, South Korea and Japan, can apparently produce nuclear weapons very quickly. They're both major industrial and technological powers. So undoubtedly they have the means and the resources to do it. So, you know, we should try and avoid a war in this part of the world because if it happens, yes, I agree, it would be probably the end of South Korea and Japan, but the effect would be utterly devastating for the entire world. La Republic European, when is the last time both of you have reminded yourselves that Myanmar is still in civil war? Well, I don't, I, I, I actually do remember that and I do think about this a lot. And of course, um, I, uh, you know, we, I, I regularly watch the new Atlas, Brian Valetic's thing is, you know, we, uh, it's not a secret. And uh, of course, he talks about this a great deal. So of course, we've reminded ourselves about this fact. But there are, I, I'm going to say Myanmar has been in a state of civil war for almost as long as I can remember. There are times when it's worse. And there are times when it's less. But it's been in that condition since the 60s. Commander Crossfire, people shouldn't be afraid of Europe becoming inundated by migrants. African Arabs only went to Europe 
because Europe destroyed their homes with, with the rise of BRICS, fair world order, the migrant flows reverse. Well, yes, I think that's possible. And of course, this is where the paradox of the globalist agenda and the neocon wars come. Is that if, well, some would say, of course, it's not a paradox. Some would say it's intentional, intended. But anyway, the destruction of these countries in Africa, in the Middle East, are what have triggered the migrant flows. And of course, if these places are rebuilt and reconstructed, it might reverse them. But if that happens, it won't be thanks to the leaders of Europe. And I think that's the key thing to understand. The leaders of Europe have stood by and let this whole problem both emerge and develop and evolve in the way that it has. John, thank you for that super sticker. Uh, John Capuccio, thank you for that super sticker. Jam says, Socrates during the birth of the concept of, the, of democracy was worried it would lead to demagoguery. He was voted to be sentenced to death. Oh, indeed, absolutely. You should read, you should, you should read he, he, uh, Plato's account of his trial, which is very, very interesting, actually. Now, he wasn't, um, and, you know, the, but part of the things was that he was supposed to be somebody who supported tyrants and things of that kind, because some of the 30 tyrants had been people that he'd actually taught briefly, even though they, he never had students as such. But, you know, you're, 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 you're completely correct. There was the concern that, you know, demagogues would read to tyranny and all that, all of that. And he was concerned about those things. And Plato, his disciple, was concerned about them even more. And, of course, Socrates was executed in exactly the way that you said. Daniela, Sevastopol headquarters has been attacked. What happens now? Well, is this the most, is this today? Because I haven't today. heard. I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, Ukraine is carrying out these attacks on Sevastopol, um, whether or not. I mean, the, the, this is what the storm shadows and the Taurus missiles are all about, basically. They're not going to change the effect of the war. Mila says, is Pashinyan's betrayal of Artsakh a litmus test for similar West payoff leaders' own betrayals in Cyprus, Speska, Kosovo, Metohia, and similar? Yes. Short answer. Tom Somebody, West's strategy to harm Russia, fomenting a war encircling China using most of its resources as African nations demand no more neocolonial rule is some timing, almost analogous to it diplomacy. Yes. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Mehdi, I find it funny when these politicians regurgitate Klaushevich as if they truly understand anything Klaushevich said. But most of them haven't read him. <laughs> Nick, can you make a Zelensky and other voice imitation compilation at some point? It's hilarious. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> Danielle, Russian defense Ministry have confirmed that an attack was made on Sevastopol. Five Ukraine missiles downed, but BSF HQ damaged. Okay. Headquarters damaged. To, to what extent does anyone know? We don't know. Presumably. What the damage was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mobius Zero, why does it seem that South Korea and Japan are ready to die for the U.S.? Why does anyone want to die for the U.S.? What makes the U.S. worth dying for? 
That's a very good question. And I think you ought to address that question to the leaders of these countries, because I can't see it. In the case of Japan, they have this long-standing feud with China. And in the case of South Korea, obviously they have concerns about North Korea. But I would have thought that in both cases, the wise policy for these countries is to try to find some way to work out their problems with China in the case of Japan and with North Korea in the case of South Korea. When the South Koreans and the North Koreans conducted a dialogue with each other, it seemed for a time to go quite well. Life of Brian with the absolute state of Britain. Does Alexander feel he needs to have an exit strategy? Well, I'm not going to discuss things like that publicly because I, 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 I let's put it like this. I mean, I have a home in Greece. But Barusia, according to Andrei Martianov's sources, the Russian MOD only gives KIA numbers. They don't include other casualties. Thoughts? Yes, I know this. This has been a massive issue that's been debated and discussed by many people. I still think this is one area where I disagree with Andrei, despite the fact that he would logically have much more much better knowledge of this than me. But I think in this war, they're giving uh, um, what they would call irretrievable losses, which is to say killed in action and also severely wounded. I think if they were killed, they would simply say so, which they never do. Raphael, double A, two things were said this week. Iran says they're going to avenge the death of the general. Russia said new weapon systems are ready to go. Yeah. I mean, Shoigu has been in uh, in Iran and there's been uh, negotiations. We don't know what those negotiations are about, but clearly relations between Iran and Russia are improving. And now that the issue of Iran and Saudi Arabia um, is apparently off the agenda, I would expect major arm deals between the Russians and the Iranians. And I, I would not be surprised between the Russians and the Saudis too. AZ50, welcome to the Duran community. Ola Feist, the north of Ireland and the prospect of unity. Yeah, well, I think I've discussed that. I mean, my own view is that Irish unity is now only a matter of time. Uh, Port Film Co-op. Alex, would you ever stream with Mark Collette? He's going to review Tarkovsky's Stalker with a live panel. You might be good on that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd be very interested in doing that. I mean, um, it's not my favorite film of Tarkovsky's, by the way. Um, but and but um, I would be interested. I, you know, I would certainly like the film. And I should say I've also read the book upon which it is to a certain very limited extent based by the Strugatsky brothers, which is completely different, by the way. But anyway, I, I've read I've read the book and I've seen the film many times. I know I'm familiar with it. Well, in some ways, it's the most extraordinary film cinematically because when you take a step back and think about what it shows, it shows three men and a dog walking across a field. <laughs> Nothing else. I mean, they talk a lot with each other. Obviously, They're, there's lots of suggestions, and they meet you know sort of broken down buildings and things of this kind. But nothing really happens. Mobius Zero, do you think North Korea and China would enjoy destroying its neighbors, namely and especially South Korea and Japan? If countries want to go extinct for the U.S., then maybe they should be obliged. 
Well, no, I don't think the North Koreans have that agenda at all. I think the North Koreans want to survive. I think this is really what has been driving the North Korean government. Um, beyond that, they probably do want some kind of North Korean unity because the, uh, the, the government in North Korea derives its legitimacy from its desire to see North uh, Korea reunited again under, of course, its own leadership. But um, I don't think that the agenda is the destruction of Japan or South Korea. Uh, uh, not at all. I think that North Koreans understand that if they went down that road, they themselves would not survive. Trevor, welcome to the Drag Community. Dev Brat Baduri, thank you for that super sticker. Ogier, if Russia was an actual threat to Europe and NATO, how come they ran out of artillery shells and everything else they have supplied Ukraine with? So, <laughs> you yeah. make a very valid point. Mobius, my greatest fear in a US-China war over Taiwan, Japanese involvement. If Japan sends anything with a gun, China gets rid of it. No first, China gets rid of its no first use policy and solves the Japan problem once and for all. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're looking forward to very, very dangerous scenarios indeed, which I don't want to explore. What I would say is if Japan is unwise enough to get drawn into a conflict with China over Taiwan alongside the United States, then this is a very dangerous situation indeed, given that the Chinese feel that one of the reasons why there's been any degree of separation between Taiwan and China is because of Chi Japanese actions in the first place. Raphael, let me break some news here. I do not have any connections. I believe Poland just cut a deal with Russia. Wag Wagnerian are out of Belarus. No weep for Ukraine. Well, you may be right about this, but That's I mean, I've not take. heard that. I mean, it's possible, I suppose. That's an interesting take, yeah. Mobius, yeah. can I just say that overall Japan is being the greatest disappointment on Earth? It's like they have no idea we could get nuked because of them. Yeah, they, I mean, I agree, actually. I mean, I think Japan could be a tremendous force for, for you know, stability and wisdom and all kinds of things. But they've not shown this. Radovid, thanks for the good job. Jungle Jin says, could Russia's veto in the Security Council be annulled by denying visas to Russia's representatives? Right. Well, once upon a time, I would have said that that was impossible. But, you know, there's no conceivable way that the United States could do that. And then, of course, in 2011, they denied a visa to a Libyan representative at the time when the conflict there was taking place and then they've acted to restrict the U the russian delegation to the united nations so i'm not saying any longer that that is impossible but to be absolutely clear if something like that happens it is the end of the united nations uh law of attraction when 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 are there questions about the favorite books and films mostly alexander answering what about you alex These are big topics that maybe big we'll do topics, in a locals yeah. in a locals video. Exactly. I think, <laughs> I think there's a lot of books idea. and films that locals you could talk would be about, a good place Alexander. To yeah. Them, actually, yeah. I don't. I don't know if my films would be that 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 interesting for people. Yeah, <laughs> art definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, Caves of Chaos. 
Where is the Azov battalion? They'll love the news. It's fighting in uh, uh, near Klesheyevka. <laughs> answer to answer your question. Marcos, 588, Armenia lost its western regions, cars in Lake in Lake Van areas after World War I mm. and has now lost its eastern regions of Artsakh. Tragedy yeah. of immense proportions. I totally agree with that. I completely agree with that. Elza, uh, Colombian president's speech at the UN was very critical of the West. And that yes. be taken seriously. Isn't, it, isn't Colombia an ally of the U.S. in Central America? It has been the U.S.'s most reliable and important ally in Central America. So if the Colombians are starting to talk in that way, that is something that the Americans ought to be worried about, which apparently they're not. It's just not been, it's not just registered with them. Austin, thank you for that super sticker. Ricardo says Aurelian is worth reading on Substack. Yeah. Raphael, Alexander the historian, why, why world leaders do not know the history of the Security Council? They offered India a post. They refused, tried to make it nine. What, where, since when have Western leaders familiarized themselves with history? Full stop. <laughs> I mean, expecting them to understand the history of the United Nations and of the Security Council. Not happening. History for them is narratives. We saw that with Ursula's speech about Hiroshima. We see this with Boris Johnson's interview about the World War II and Ukraine being the West's ally in that war, which is, I mean, it's so crazy. And he is, pretends that he's a historian, by the way. Hmm. He's even a biographer of Churchill, by the way. Not a good biography, but he's written one. So, I mean, you know, it, 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 you know these people do not, are not interested in history. That isn't what they do. Habernak, just call it a freeze. We don't like the word defeat. Absolutely. That's entirely right, yeah. Mobius, why are there so many Japanese apologists, not here, but on sites like Quora? I can't speak for the other sites. That's that. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's their problem. Sticky Marks, ABs, Ukraine, cocaine, grain. At Alexi. Annalena Baerbach's cocaine oh, grain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ricardo, Japan would be the most irresponsible country to have nukes, given their current nihilistic nature and willingness to die for their American shogun. Yeah, I don't disagree. Mm -hmm. AM, catching up on the Duran has become a staple of my daily routine. Keep up the great work, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Transport says, says that if the U.S. isn't the dominant power, the world will be chaos. But since... The U.S. became a dominant power. The world has been in chaos. Yes. Uh, Mobius Zero, why does Japan want to go extinct for the U.S.? Honestly, if Japan goes down, we will all go down with them. With all due respect, what the flying F is wrong with Japan? Well, I'm starting to I, sense I, I, a, a pattern. Yes, I, I <laughs> don't. I, I'm not. I, I haven't had contacts with Japan. I've never been to Japan, by the way. And But I've not, once upon a time, long ago, I used to work with a lot of people from Japan and was very impressed by them and liked them a lot and found them extremely good uh, people to work with, by the way. Very reliable, very honest. I mean, painfully honest. Very unwilling to go into court under any circumstances, by the way. Uh, this, this is legal work. And very interesting. And I got to know a lot about Japan at that time, uh, contemporary Japan of that era. I'm talking about the 80s. 
and uh, an early 90s. But I am not up to date with the politics of Japan now. But I would say that Japan at some point went badly wrong. We've done programs about this with Jeffrey Sachs. It went badly wrong. It ceased to be the industrial colossus that it looked like it was going to be. And everything seems to be, you know, contracting. And it's become much more of an American satellite than it used to be, which is exactly like what's happened in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the processes in Japan, but I suspect that you would find that they're very similar to those in Europe. Yeah. Uh, Johan says, is there any truth in Russia being harsh against low-level activists? If so, why? Does not really make sense to me. I don't think they are, actually. I think they're harsh against some high-level activists, but not against low-level ones. That's what I've heard. Uh, Jahangir says, do you think we'll reach a point of five eyes versus the rest of the world? Yes, I think we're almost there. The, yeah, we are. The, the Fakil says, any comment on Zelensky addressing Canadian Parliament? Oh, is, he, is, he, is, that, is that what he's going to do uh, next? Yeah, yeah. Has it happened? I don't think, I don't think he's, I don't know. I he's made heard. his way to I Canada mean, yet. Yeah. He's on his way. He's It'll on his interesting. way. Well, he doesn't want to return to Kiev. That seems to be, again, the <laughs> concern. Notice how little he stays in Kiev now. He takes every opportunity to go to keep away. Yeah. Tabernacle, Biden's work, Russia, China, Trudeau working hard for China, Russia, India. Yeah. Skip Moyer, welcome to Drank Community. Skip Moyer asks, with all of Russia's followers, not much changed. Okay, I'm not getting sure I understand, but never mind. Uh, Russia, my mistake. My mistake, Skip. Uh, with all of Russell's followers, Russell Brand's followers, not much has changed. No, I, I still Russia, understand. Russell, yeah, Russell still Brand. Understand, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he still has most Millions. of his support, I would say, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marcos588, this Western talk of a freeze is ludicrous in a pipe dream after all the antagonism. Why would Russia hold back from imposing victory conditions? You're absolutely right. Why would they? I, what is in it for them? Commando Crossfire, I just want to jump on the WTF Japan bandwagon. Yeah. Um, on... Locals, one second. Law of attraction. The EU is threatening Serbia not to give out passports to Russians, qualified workers, families who open businesses and pay taxes, saying they are a threat to Europe. At the same time, absorbing crowds of migrants. More than 20,000 young males landed in in 6,000 in, in 6, citizens Lampedusa last week. Yeah. Hard to find a Cypriot in some of the parts of Cyprus now. Maybe Medvedev was right partially, and Europe won't look as it was anymore. I am, well, I mean, you're absolutely right on every point. I would add one other thing, which is, of course, that there is no more important uh, characteristic of sovereignty for a state than handing out passports or visas or giving it citizenship. And here we see a foreign entity, the EU, telling Serbia, which is not a member of the EU, how it is to exercise its sovereignty with respect to the people of another country. I mean, that tells you what the EU is really all about, how totally, the total content they have 
for the sovereignty and independence of other countries. Yeah, Serbia should tell the EU to, to buzz off. Tool FATH swimming that has managed to claw their way up in today's potential circles has had to be worse than male counterparts as to gain positions of power in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the worst representatives of the female population, Hillary Newland and so on, psychopaths and sadistic, deathgasm-driven policies, writing for a friend. Well, there are a lot of bad people around. I mean, you know, but there are some very, very amazing women. I mean, we had, uh, um, what was her name? The the, the Irish MP. I, her name's Claire. just gone. Sorry. Claire Daly. I mean, Claire we had Daly. her, for example. And she was, she was, uh, she is a woman and she's quite the opposite of this. And we had, uh, uh, so, you know, don't, but I, I, I understand your point. I'd say that bad people altogether, you want to see you succeed in politics today. You need two qualities. One, lack, well, three qualities, lack of intelligence, general incompetence, and bad faith. And that, that will enable you to rise and rise very fast. Uh, Bob, is Poland preparing to occupy West Ukraine? Thanks for all you do. No, I don't think so. I think, as I said, these latest Polish comments and statements suggest otherwise, at least to me. Mobius zero, Japan equals dead man walking, mic drop. Thank you, Mobius, for that. And Amos Burton says, the current political leaders in Japan are very corrupt, socially and morally. Japanese doesn't have any choice for their leaders. Kishida is very disliked among Japanese. He is an Olaf Schultz of Japan. Yeah, I think he is. Oh, Japan, Japanese politics has always been corrupt. In a country, by the way, where corruption is almost non-existent. It only exists, what has historically almost always existed at the top level within the political system. It's been very strange. At least that's what Japanese people uh, used to tell me. But despite being corrupt and organized in an unusual way, Japanese leaders tended to be clever and effective and concerned about the best interests of Japan. That doesn't seem to be the case any longer. Uh, grapes, thank you for that super chat, that photo of, of us from a live stream with Larry Johnson. Thank you for that. And GM says, I have the impression that the most recent escalation between Poland and Ukraine is just a pretext for an armed conflict to move Polish troops into Ukraine. I don't think so. I don't, that wasn't the impression I got, to be frank. Ali Diaz, Alexander, would you be able to make a list of history books worth reading without Western bias? Thank you. Love the show. Uh, You've had this request I know, so many 100 times, times. So when are you going to create a, a book list on locals, the Durant.locals.com? I, I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Great. Ali, I think we finally got Alexander to create that book list mm. on the Duran.locals.com. Alexander, I think we've got all the questions answered. Claire wow. Daly is very good yeah. on Ukraine, terrible on illegal migrants. That's okay. a comment from Rumble. Yeah. Just looking through to see if there's anything else that we've missed. Good live stream. 
amazing live stream. Very enjoyable live stream. Very interesting live stream. But as I said before, our community is wonderful. Yeah. Tool F8 TH says we have some righteous female politicians as well. We have all sorts. Yeah. All right. I think. Well, we have one or two more questions and we can wrap this up. One mm -hmm. question. Jerry says, will Christia Freeland, Canada's assistant prime minister, over to sell her house in Kiev to Oletsky? Interesting thought. She's going to be very happy to have him in Canada. Absolutely. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of interesting material next week, yeah. Alexander, with his yeah. trip to Canada. We'll have a lot of interesting yeah. stuff to talk about. Okay, Canada's making a lot of news these it days. It certainly is, yeah. Not yeah. the wrong the wrong sort of news, I'm sorry. The wrong kind of news, yeah. yeah. All right, that is everything. Thank you to everyone that watched us on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, uh, where else? YouTube and theduran.locals.com where Alexander will soon have book list. Absolutely. Right. Uh, tool F8H says, have a nice weekend, folks, and thanks for everything, AA. Charge those batteries as well. Yeah. And uh, thank you to our moderators yeah. for today. Tish M. Thank you, Tish. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Reckless Abandon. And who else? Those were our moderators for today. Thank you very much to our moderators. Thank you for everything that you do. Alexander, any final thoughts before well, we sign off for the weekend? An amazing live stream. I, I, I will come back to what uh, you know, we discussed. We discussed this already. I think in terms of Ukraine, obviously they will be able to launch pinprick attacks. They've got the, you know, the, shadow, the storm shadows. This is what they're doing. But put aside the pinprick attacks, the offensive has failed. That was what they put their money on. Now, it's only a question of how this thing ends with a Russian victory, and we're coming close to the end of the affair. That is my own sense. Okay, let me just read you real quick what uh, RT is reporting with the strike right. in Sevastopol, right. and we'll sign off. The Defense right. Ministry in Moscow has released new information about the Ukraine missile strike, which hit the headquarters of the Russian Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol on Friday. At least one military service member is reported missing. Yeah. Following the strike, the ministry said in a statement, the Ukrainian operation involved multiple missiles, five of which were intercepted by Russian forces. It added the ministry acknowledged damage to the historic building, which hosts the headquarters in central Sevastopol, yeah. but offered no further details about the yeah. incident. Yeah, which is what they always do. One person doesn't. Well, we'll, we'll find out, no doubt. We'll if find you, out. Yeah. All right. Okay. Take care, everybody.